Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome back. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack now. By the way, this hour is sponsored by Meridian Bank, one of the area's best business banks. Learn why at meridianbanker.com slash WIP. Well, Ray, Fran Dunphy has earned the nickname of Mr. Big Five through a lifetime spent in Philadelphia basketball. He starred on some great LaSalle teams back in the day. He is the winningest coach in Penn history, and he succeeded John Chaney and led the Owls for 13 years at Temple. The man coached his teams to 17 NCAA tournaments, and he joins us now. Um, Fran, it is quite a resume, and I know it starts in southwest Philly before you moved to Drexel Hill at 10. Give us, let's start at the beginning. Tell us your first memories of watching or picking up a basketball as a boy. Uh. I think what I would walk home from most blessed Sacramento high school, or high school, grade school, and uh, around the corner from Warrington or Springfield onto Ruby Street. And I'm walking down the street, and I, we lived at 1218 South Ruby. And, uh, and I'm hoping that my Uncle Tony had put up a basketball backboard and rim hanging over the railing of our row home. And each day I'd come and, and it wasn't there. And then finally it did happen. And I'm out there banging up jumpers to all, all hours of the night. I'm, you know, I'm nine years old or eight years old. And then I guess the neighbors complained and we had to take it down, which was maybe the as dark a day as I had had up into those eight or nine years <laughs> and never to be seen again on the, on the, on the railing. But, uh, but I, that was my start, and I can remember, uh, you know, just playing in the street, you know, trying to. And, and we lived uh, right near Shaw Junior High School, so we'd go over there. They had some baskets there, and but I, I really didn't play that much football there. It was all step ball and wall ball and wire ball and hose ball or anything else ball that you could find. And playing in the street to the point of when we did finally move to Delaware County. Uh, I asked my father to take me back to the neighborhood. Like for the first six months, probably I went back to, to Ruby street, which, which my grandmother lived on and uh, just played in the street with the fellas, you know, and uh, it was just awesome. I, and, but finally I made the transition and then played CYO basketball at St. Dorothy's and uh, in Drexel Hill. And for a guy by the name of Ed Smith, who was, he was an upper Derby policeman, a motorcycle cop. So we all thought he was heroic for just for that. Uh, and then he coached uh, CYO fifth and sixth, seventh and eighth grade football. He coached fifth and sixth, seventh and eighth grade basketball. He coached our, some of our baseball stuff, took it to the Penn relays and drove a tractor trailer, like seemingly every other Sunday filled with newspapers somewhere to get money to to put uniforms on all these guys and he was just a remarkable remarkable guy and you know like most of us at that age we don't appreciate 
And then when we finally do appreciate when we can go back to Ed Smith and tell him what a hero of ours he was, he was not there anymore. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those regrets that you have that you couldn't tell Ed Smith what he meant to you. And uh, yeah. so those are that's sort of the start mm-hmm. that we that we had. And uh, but grateful for my opportunities to be in on the streets of Philly playing ball and then go into the CYO programs and that kind of gave me a great start. Well, you got started, as you said, St. Dorothy's. And uh, anybody from Delaware County knows how fierce that St. Dorothy's, St. Bernadette's rivalry is. That uh, that got you started off early. Uh, but I'm, I'm once wondering, for a guy who went on and had such a, such yeah, I basically lived your lifetime in the Big Five, what's your first memory of the Big Five, Fran? When was the first time you went to the Palestra? At what point was the Big Five, and when did you become aware of this institution, this basketball institution that was right here in Philadelphia? Yeah, probably in those CYO years, right? Uh, I can remember one of our good buddies that we had, a guy's name is Bill Holston, his dad, Jack Holston, took us down there. Maybe, I'm thinking it was a triple header or something. And, uh, you know, he just watched, sat and watched basketball all day long. And maybe it was, uh, you know, Villanova or, or St. Joe's or LaSalle. I can't remember exactly who was all in the games. Probably all three of those were in the games. And, uh, so you, you got that taste for it, and and then it became when you got a little older in, in high school, uh, that's oftentimes what you did on Wednesdays, perhaps Friday, but probably Saturday, because that's when the doubleheaders were. And, uh, and then it got onto TV as well. And so then you, you came became ingrained in it. And in, in our day when we grew up, uh, Ray, obviously you're in that era, you didn't think about you, know, you, you thought about going to a, a, a big five institution. Sure. Uh, and it, at, at that point, any one of them would have been uh, perfect. And uh, so, But you didn't think about going away or going to uh, a big 10 school or one of those things. You were going to play basketball, and, and you, if you could do it in the big five, it would have been uh, all the dreams come true that you would have wanted. So how did you end up, uh, 1967, I believe, you end up at LaSalle. How did that come to be? Actually, it was 1966, but it came to be because my high school basketball coach, Dan Doherty, uh, was pretty good friends with Joe Heyer. And I'm sure he said, I got this guy who's uh, who's an okay player and he would love to have an opportunity in a place like LaSalle. And, uh, and Joe Heyer gave me a chance. And, and it was in those days, it was not a, it was a tuition scholarship. So uh, I got that opportunity to, to go to LaSalle. I was thrilled to have it. Uh, I took the subway up and walked up from 20th and uh, Broad and Alney to 20th and Alney and, and uh, started my career there. I'd occasionally get a, 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 a one, my freshman basketball coach was a guy named Tony Abbott, another LaSalle basketballer. And he would take me to, uh, after I, he would take me home, basically, take me to, to St. Dorothy's Church, and I'd walk home from there, and uh, we had great talks on the way home. I'm sure Tony did most of the talking because I was not the most verbose dude in America in those days. Not that I'm a whole lot more these days, but uh, so it, it was that kind of opportunity I had. LaSalle gave it to me, and I'm grateful for that. Very, very grateful. And then, uh, and then I finally, uh, I'm going to tell you a story that because I think thinking of what you guys did with Jim Lynham one one time, and he told the story of getting his scholarship from uh, St. Joe's. Here's what happened to me. 
at LaSalle in my sophomore year. Uh, we're deep into practice, preseason, pre- preseason practice, and uh, I'm probably not paying attention, which was was par for the course for me in those days. And Jim Harding was our coach. So Jim Harding at some point, and probably it was hour three of a three-and-a-half, four-hour practice, said, uh, Dumphy, did you listen to what I just said? And I, I said, Coach, I, I got to tell you, I'm, I, just, I didn't. I didn't pay attention right there. So he grabs me after practice and says, what's up with you? I said, Coach, I'm, I just, I'm struggling a little bit. You know, I take the subway up in the morning. By the time I get home, it's like 10 o'clock. And, you know, it's just it's a, it's a long day. And uh, I said, I just, I guess I'm just, I was just t- tired at that point. And he, and he pretty much said, well, that's too bad. You, you're going to, you got to suck it up or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. So maybe the following weekend, it's a Saturday practice and, um, with Larry Cannon after he said, where are you going? I said, well, I'm walking up the subway. He said, where you, where you live? I said, I live in Jackson Hill. And he said, uh, All right, well, I'm going there. The friend of mine lives there. So he, so he takes me home. So he says, why don't you have a room on campus? I said, well, I sort of hinted at that to Coach Harding uh, last week, and he told me that's too bad. Well, that Monday I get to practice. Before I go to practice, uh, Jim Harding grabs me and says, you go over and see brother whoever, and uh, he's going to get your room. It turns out that Cannon then goes to Harding and says, uh, Cannon never told me this. I figured it out on my own, Mm -hmm. that, Cannon says to Harding, you know, this kid's doing, he's traveling too much. Let's get him a room on campus. And, and so Larry Cannon got me my room on campus at LaSalle in the middle nice. of my sophomore year. But that was the kind of player, person, teammate that Larry Cannon was. He was going to take care of those that in many ways couldn't take care of themselves. Well, you just you just mentioned two huge names in your, in your history, <laughs> or Jim Harding and Larry Cannon. Uh, Larry Cannon, of course, one of the one of the great high school players in Philadelphia history, a huge star at Lincoln, uh, big recruit, comes to LaSalle, uh, and Jim Harding comes in to become the coach, and they build and uh, they they wind up building this team, which is a tremendous team. They bring in Kenny Durrett, they bring in Bernie Williams, they bring in Fatty Taylor. Uh, you're there, Larry Cannon and his brother. Uh, and you got Jim Harding, who is, and you mentioned uh, three and three and a half hour practice. You weren't exaggerating. That that was kind of typical for him. Uh, and with that talent and that kind of coaching, you put together a team that, to this day, friend, people that have a memory that goes back far enough will sometimes argue that that's the greatest team that's ever played in the Big Five. I mean, that you got you guys were that good, uh, but because of and you can talk a little bit about what the trouble that Jim got in. You wound up being on probation. But, boy, when you guys were on the floor, you were special to watch. Well, in that year, Ray, and I appreciate the comments, uh, I think we were really very, very good at Every one of these guys was a terrific player, to include Stan Ladarchik, who was, in my mind, Bobby Jones before there was Bobby Jones, just a guy who loved playing defense and who could make shots but was very uh, – comfortable in his own role and so we we had every aspect of the game covered fatty taylor was a terrific point guard and bernie williams a great shooting guard and kenny could do everything and uh ladarchik was a great defensive forward and kenny Durrett was arguably the best college basketball player in the history of philadelphia certainly in our eyes because we revered him so uh he was spectacular it was nothing he couldn't do and he, you know, he tears his knee up in the 
uh, in his senior year in 1971. And, and in those days, the technology was not available medically to repair an ACL tear or whatever it was that he had. And so he didn't have a 12, 13, 14-year NBA career, which we all thought he would have had had he been healthy. And so Harding was very much a part of that too, Ray. I say it all the time that he was such a disciplinarian and such a tough guy to play for that by the time the next year hits and Tom Gola arrives, uh, we are so fundamentally sound in every aspect of the game, but we were all then we were given this freedom to play by Tom Gola, and it just all worked. If it was in reverse, it never would have been able to work if we had had that freedom of what Gola gave to you and then try to put all the discipline in the next year, it, it just would not have been the ideal situation. And, and it really was ideal. And 68 was a very tough year. 69 was a beautiful experience. So um, what, what you guys are talking about, and for people who don't know, your junior year, the team ranked second in the country, 23-1, and one, uh, which, you know, for a little school – I know the world was different back then, but even then, for a little school like LaSalle to be ranked second in the country at 23-1 and one must have been fun, um, but also painful not to be able to play in the tournament because uh, the, the program was slapped with a two-year NCAA probation because of stuff that had nothing to do with you, the other players, nothing to do with Gola. Um, I read a quote, and I guess I'm going to ask you to respond on this. Bernie Williams, who Ray said, you said was the the shooting guard on the team, said, Coach told us we could lie down and die or play it tough. We decided right then we want to leave some people wondering what we could have been. So off of that frame, what was it like having such a great team but knowing that you couldn't play in the tournament? It it was really tough, I would say, Glenn, but the NCAA tournament wasn't like it is today. So it wasn't this – as I recall, it was shattering, but it wasn't earth shattering and it didn't destroy our lives or any of that stuff. Uh, we, we just, I, I think we, we were understanding that we probably were really good. Could we have beaten, uh, you know, we had a great end of season game with Villanova who was also really, really good. As good as Kenny Durrett was, Howard Porter was right there. Some might argue even better. I, I don't because c- of my built-in biases toward any direct, but, uh, but when we won that game, which and it was a terrific game, two top 10 teams. And uh, so that we get, we had that at least, you know, if we had not had that, mm-hmm. that game, uh, then I think it would have been even harder. Um, but in those days too, there was, I, I I can't even remember the number of teams that were in the NCAA tournament. It could have been 16 or 24 i know it wasn't more than than that and uh so it 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 was okay we we hung in there we had this feeling of accomplishment that we knew we were pretty good and uh we wish we could have had the chance but it just didn't work out that way i will tell you there was a one game that we played uh against the university of detroit i mentioned this the other day uh we and it was at home and it was the one game in my junior year i didn't play and i was sitting on the bench just marveling at the game because our guys were great. Cannon had like 32 and Williams had like 27 and Kenny Durrett had 19, 12 and six or something crazy uh, as a stat line. The other team had Spencer Haywood who had 32 points. Yeah. Wow. 
I'm sorry, 41 points and 32 rebounds. Wow. Well, there's a name, too, Spencer Hayward, yeah. Yeah, I'm just sitting there watching, saying, I want to be in this game, but uh, I'm enjoying the hell out of watching it from the bench. I was dying to be in there, but, God, it was a fantastic game. And the, and the tragedy of that is you, there's no way you can see it. Uh, you, there's no film of those games, and it just wasn't the way it was in those days. And, and, and to talk a little bit further about that, I mean, that, that's – that's how you teach today in the game of basketball and all sports. Film is your best teacher. And we just never had that kind of opportunity back in those days. Well, you, um, you talked about that team, and they, um, they're every bit of what you describe. And that year, 23-1, and Glenn mentioned it, um, LaSalle goes unbeaten in the Big Five for the first time in the school's history. Uh, you beat a very good Temple team who later went on and won the NIT. You beat Indiana, you beat Syracuse, you beat Western Kentucky, you beat Creighton, and as you said, you beat Detroit with Spencer Haywood. Um, there was, I mean, you guys were such fun to watch. And I remember, and I looked this back up, I remember Sports Illustrated did a big story about you guys at midseason. Their, their college basketball writer, Curry Kirkpatrick, came and wrote about you guys. And what he wrote was, quote, LaSalle runs and runs and runs some more. They run better than any Eastern team since Temple with Guy Rogers and Hal Lear. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that was certainly, the, for folks who don't remember what your team looked like, I mean, they were such fun to watch. You could do everything. Larry handled the ball. Bernie shot it. Uh, and you guys played at a pace that nobody else could keep up with. I mean, maybe Calvin Murphy with Niagara, but you managed beating him too. But, I mean, there weren't many teams that could just stay with you guys because you had so much talent and you – and. Tom Gola had you running that offense so beautifully that no team could stand up to your offensive pressure. Yeah, and I would agree. And again, that that goes back to again the uh, the discipline that we had from the year before, and then Tom Gola allowing you to uh, to play your game. So you could imagine watching you you had the chance to watch Larry Cannon in person. Yeah, uh, game, you could you can't imagine what it was like in a in a practice setting that you saw every day and you'd see these passes and, and ways of playing the game that were just so far ahead of anything you ever thought was possible. Uh, you know, he'd be banging balls off guys' foreheads. It just, you know, cause they weren't ready for this kind of passing and opportunities that he was creating out there. And, and fatty Taylor was a tremendous defensive player, but he knew exactly where the ball was supposed to go when he was handling it. Bernie Williams said, you know, three point line would have been so easy for him to, to dominate from, and uh, he would have been even a better scorer. And, and again, Durrett was the smoothest player anybody, any of us had ever seen. And he did everything. It was just a remarkable group of guys. And, and it was, uh, the chemistry was perfect on that group. And, and then we had a guy coming off the bench, Ed Chesney, who was really a talented guy from Plymouth White Marsh high school. And, Chez was really a good player too, and uh, so we had just about everything figured out. And, and and Gola was great with all of us, and and but it was a crazy time for him too, where he was working for the city, and so a lot of the practice opportunities came to Kurt Frommel, who was a former LaSalle player, and he did a lot of the coaching during the practice time. And but it was just great to have that. The Gola's leadership was just so extraordinary, and. We didn't appreciate it back in the day, but then again, as we got older and more understanding of what's what life is really about, we appreciated the, the sacrifices that he made for us. 
Fran, we got to get you to your coaching career, but I want to ask one more question, then we'll take a break, uh, because I guess this plays into your coaching career. You're in the Army, you're at uh, Fort Ord, and I guess you're going out for the Army basketball team, and you meet a guy who ends up going into coaching as well. And um, from something I read previously, he had a pretty big effect on you, and maybe you had an effect on him as well. Well, you know, as the story goes, Glenn, I'm I'm, uh, shooting 81-meter 81 millimeter mortars at uh, Fort Ord, waiting my orders to either Vietnam or Germany. This is my after college, and uh, I get a call from the my captain and says, uh, "You know, you got a call down here in the office." And it was a guy by the name of Hal Fisher, who was the coach of the All Army team, saying to me, "You want to try out?" I said, "Yeah, I'd pretty much like that. Yeah, it'd be great." So I went up to Presidio of San Francisco the next day. They, I jump on a bus and get up there, and the uh, first guy I meet coming off the bus is Mike Krzyzewski. And uh, so we strike up a conversation and a relationship that lasts, you know, till today. And uh, and in those days, uh, you know, I got a chance to play. And if he was sitting on the bench when I came off, you know, your job basically just because that's how it was you would sit next to, to Mike mm-hmm. and he'd go over the game and you're in his head with you. And, uh, everything was right on target. You know, we're, we got to play this guy better in this way. And you, you get, you can watch this guy's close out on you. You can go by him uh, to the right side, you know, all sorts of things that were really, uh, interesting and, and, uh, and well thought out by a guy who knew the game even then. Uh, and he was just a cut above then. He was coaching while he was playing, and uh, but you could just see the formation of his mind working uh, in a in a basketball manner that just uh, was extraordinary. And and of course it it proved true many years later. And ironically enough, he's going to be uh, leaving us in the coaching world in a few weeks here. And after just an unbelievable career. Well, we're going to talk about some of the other people you met along the way in your own coaching career, which was pretty impressive. Uh, let's take a break. We've got to get Fran to Penn and to Temple coming up. Uh, this hour is sponsored by Meridian Bank, one of the area's best business banks. Learn why at meridianbanker.com slash WIP. Fran Dunphy's our guest on Tell Us Your Story. He's Ray Dinger. I'm Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. Welcome back. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack now. Is sponsored, uh, this hour is sponsored by Meridian Bank, one of the area's best business banks. Learn why at meridianbanker.com slash WIP. Hall of Famer Fran Dunphy is with us. Ray, I turn it over to you. Yeah, well, Fran, um, we talked about his playing career, which was really good, and he's part of that great team at LaSalle. If you, if you didn't get to see it, you really missed you really missed something. Uh, but Fran gets uh, Fran gets out once he gets out of the service, he gets into coaching, which I think was probably inevitable given his love of the game. Uh, he's an assistant coach at Army. That's where it starts. Then he goes back and he's an assistant coach uh, at uh, at Malvern, which is where he went to school. Then he's an assistant coach at LaSalle. Um, then he gets to be an assistant coach um, with at American University under, Ga- under Gary Williams. Uh, then he comes back to LaSalle, and he's an assistant coach under Speedy Morris. And then he gets an opportunity to go to the University of Pennsylvania, where he becomes an assistant coach under Tom Schneider, and then succeeds Tom Schneider as head coach at the University of Pennsylvania. Um, and when you finally got the opportunity to now enter this fraternity, Fran, and you you talked earlier about uh, you know how the Big Five made a big impression on you when you were just a kid and you went to the Palestra and you saw the games and 
you certainly soaked up the lore of what the Big Five was. Um, when you got the opportunity to step up from being an assistant coach to a head coach of a Big Five program, that must have been a pretty huge moment for you. Yeah, I'm actually sitting in my basement now talking to you guys, and, and I can remember talking to my father and mother after they gave me the call to tell me I was the new head coach at Penn, and I'm sobbing, you know. And uh, my old man, being as Irish as he was, he he uh, he was crying his butt off as well. And so it was a, it was a great moment for me. Uh, little did I know that I would be kind of hanging around for the next 30 years doing it in Philly, which just uh, – <laughs> Nobody should be this lucky, but uh, and I tell this story all the time, and it, it's it's I tell it to businesses uh, when I get a chance to to be in front of some people there. Uh, you know, they gave me a, a three year contract at Penn. Uh, the the AD was a guy by the name of Paul Rubenkamp, who was one of my heroes in the in the athletic world, and uh, I would have taken a three day contract. I just wanted the job, and. Uh, so we, we struggle early on uh, in my career at Penn. Um, so we were not, uh, 12 and 14 my first year and 9 and 17 in, in our second year. And I go in to see my boss, Paul Rumikam, and uh, you know we small talk for a little bit, and then he slides in front of me a piece of paper, and I say, uh, is there something wrong with you? And he says, what are you talking about? I said, you are aware that we went 12 and 14 and 9 and 17 the last two years? He said, yes, yeah, so? And he said, uh, what do you want? I said, well, this this is a new three-year contract. Why are you doing this? He said, I'm doing it because I trust in you. I, I think you've got a good staff. You've recruited well. Uh, you guys work hard. you, you got no maintenance issues. So shut up and get out of here. And, uh, and I did. And uh, the next year, we turned it around a little bit. Of course, we got uh, Jerome Allen to come to Penn. And uh, that made a big difference. And we go 16 and 10 in the next three years after getting Matt Maloney to be his backcourt uh, teammate. We don't lose a league game. And we, so we're off and running a little bit because of Paul Rubenkamp's confidence in me, I hope. Uh, the fact that we recruited some really pretty good guys and I had a really good staff, Fran O'Hanlon, Gil Jackson, uh, Steve Donahue. So, we had a really good group of guys, and uh, and so I was really lucky and very grateful to that leadership and that vision and that patience that Paul Rubenkamp showed in us. And that doesn't necessarily happen in today's world, but in those days you could you could do that. I want to back up for one second uh, to when you were an assistant, and I think it's I think this is when you were at LaSalle's assistant. I'm not sure, but I heard you tell a story one time about playing against uh, North Carolina at the Palestra. And the impact that, that Dean Smith had on you that day and moving forward. And maybe if I just set it up that way, I want to hand it to you because it's a great story. Yeah, I appreciate it. So it's, I, I actually came, uh, I came to, I left Malvern as the head coach at Malvern and came to LaSalle because of uh, Lefty Urban, who was my teammate who had gotten the job at LaSalle. So I was with Lefty his first year at LaSalle and his last year, which was his seventh year and the middle five years I was at American U at uh, with Gary Williams and Ed Tapscott and uh, I had a great time down there and, and learned much from those guys as well so uh, as an I'm the third assistant coach at LaSalle after uh, Lefty leaves and Speedy comes in and we're playing North Carolina and what in those days Dean Smith would take his seniors and in this case Jeff Lebo 
and try to get a home game in their area for them. And while Carlisle wasn't next to us in Philly, but it, it, it certainly sufficed for Jeff Lebo. So I'm, I'm the last assistant coach out of the locker room uh, for for LaSalle, and I finally get up to see Dean Smith, and he shakes my hand before the handshake before the game, and he says, Fran, have a great game tonight. And so I'm supposed to be charting all of the offensive plays in the first half. If you looked at my sheet, there was nothing on it because I'm still thinking at the end of the first half how this guy knew my name. I was just so flabbergasted. So as it turns out, it, he would go through the press guides, and he saw this big mustachioed guy. I had a two-bedroom, two-bath condo for a mustache in those days. Yeah. And so he recognized me, says my name, and, and I was just flabbergasted, again, that he would know my name. And it meant a lot to me. However, what happened when I finally got my head coaching job at Penn, uh, before each game over the next 30 years that I coached, I would go through the uh, press guides of the opposing team because of that, just that little gesture that uh, Dean Smith gave to me. Now, me knowing somebody else's name uh, wasn't going to mean as much as Dean Smith knowing my name meant to me. But you know what? It's just that little touch that sets you apart and makes people appreciate the attention to detail. But that was that was Dean Smith. He was a remarkable guy that way. And, and the ironic part of that, his memory was so crazed. I mean, he knew all of his players, all of his players' wives and children and birth dates and all this crazy stuff, uh, which was just remarkable. And then he, you know, he, he got Alzheimer's and, and just the irony of that, uh, just the, the way life works for all of us is just amazing. Uh, but what a remarkable, remarkable guy, fantastic teacher of the game, but a, a humanitarian that, uh, of maybe no equal in our uh, college basketball world over the years. Well, you certainly, uh, you certainly touched a lot of people in your time as well, and uh, your career at Penn was remarkable. Uh, after Paul Rubenkamp gave you the extension, gave you the new contract, you certainly made the most of it. 17 years at Penn, won the Ivy League championship 10 times, um, you had a streak of 48 consecutive wins in the Ivies, uh, and you finished a pen with 310 victories, which is second in the history of the Ivies, only to Princeton's Pete Corral. Um, so, I mean, you certainly carved out a place in Penn's basketball history for sure. Uh, but then in 06 comes the opportunity. John Chaney's going to step down at Temple University, uh, a legend, absolutely a Hall of Famer. Uh, he steps down, and you have the opportunity to succeed him. And I remember I've heard you tell the story before, but I'd like you to tell it again, um, about the meeting that you guys set up at Colleen's on the Parkway when you kind of went to John to kind of ask for his blessing to be his successor. And over the course of that lengthy afternoon conversation, um, the, the little bits of wisdom he shared with you. Well, when when I was asked to be interested in the job at Temple, I said, all right, I'll get back to you tomorrow, 24 hours. And my, obviously my next call was to John Chaney, and, and I said, listen, we, I'd love to talk to you here. And he said, all right, we'll meet at Colleen's because that was his favorite spot down there on the parkway. And uh, so we did, and you know, I said, listen, I'm, I'm interested in this, uh, but I, I'm not going to be interested if it's not what you want because you, uh, 
I don't know what I'm doing anyway. This is nuts for me to be following you, but I have interest in, but I need your blessing. I need you to say it's okay for me. And so we talked for a long time. And of course he did most of the talking and I did pretty much all the listening. And, but he did give me that thought that if, if it's meant to be, I am absolutely good to go with it. And that, that was everything to me. Uh, if he had said, no, I, I got somebody else in my mind that I, that I think I, I really want to succeed me, then that would have been it. And I would have walked away and I would have hopefully stayed at, at Penn for a lot of, uh, a lot more years. And, and, uh, and, and people would have wanted me to stick around. And so, but I had a great job at Penn really did. It was a great, great job. And, but this was just something different, something that I, I, I needed to be, uh, to, to try and, and I did. And in our world, they tell you, do not succeed a legend. And I guess I didn't get that memo. And, uh, but, but my relationship with John was, was so good. And I was so appreciative of who he was and the iconic nature of what he did for the city. And, and again, the humanitarian that he was, um, he was a remarkable guy, remarkable, remarkable man. And so it was a, it was an amazing uh, trip down uh, it, it raising trip along my journey and and to do it uh, in Philly at, and both at Penn and at Temple, I'm, I'm so grateful. Fran Duffy is our guest for Tell Us Your Story, and, and that kind of leads me into, um, I think, is a good area, which is there's a brotherhood of coaches, um, certainly in this town. Uh, and, and listen, I've seen you with Phil Martelli, and I know that you've kept up with the other coaches how did what does that stem from? Is it Philadelphia as a basketball town? Is there something more to it? You know what, Glenn? It, it, I think it's a never-ending subject. But I think this town is so incredible this way, and I'm not so sure it's any different in your profession and what you guys, uh, you know. And, uh, when Ray first jumped in there as a as a reporter back in the day, and the people that mentored him. Uh, and guided him and where came before him so when we got into this you know you're you're it was jack mckinney or jack ramsey at uh at st joe's it was jack mccluskey and chuck daly and and uh those kinds of folks at penn it was duty Moore and and uh, uh you know, the, the cast of, of coaches at LaSalle to include tom gola and uh, and then Paul Westhead uh, has his years at, at LaSalle and, and so on. John Cheney and Harry Litwack and Don Casey at, at, at Temple. And uh, it, it was just remarkable, uh, you know, to, to watch. And, and Villanova with Jack Kraft and and, uh, and Al Severance before him. But when you got in it, you, there was a certain expectation that you that this there was a way you were going to act and you were going to be respectful of this wonderful opportunity that you had to coach a a, a team in this city and you were going to play at the Palestra. The Palestra was such a galvanizing part of this as well. Uh, and then for me, lucky enough, I, I had the key to the front door for like 17 years. Uh, how could I have ever dreamed that would happen as a little kid going there and then as a college player playing there and then I get a chance to, to coach there as the head coach at, a, at Penn and have the key to the front door and then but but life changes you know and then but Philadelphia uh, head coaching at the college level hasn't and you know you come in you get these jobs and there's a certain way that your demeanor has to be and and you are 
unbelievably respectful to the city, to the uh, the the, the uh, college basketball world, and we're all grateful for it. I just want to ask a quick follow-up because I, I've gotten a sense in recent years, not the not as much the tradition, but kind of what's been ongoing, that the coaches versus cancer campaign has really contributed to the closeness among those coaches. Yeah, and I really appreciate that, and I, I, I would agree totally, and that you know it galvanized us even further. You know, we we have this, we have a bunch of things that go on, and. Uh, and everybody contributes and everybody understands that we have a greater good that we need to serve and, uh, and to try to make a dent because cancer sucks. It's horrible and it affects all of us. And, and so we've made some inroads there and, and it, and uh, I have great respect for Phil and what he has done in Philadelphia over the years and, and how much he has been a part of this coaches versus cancer program and there. The rest of the guys have done a great job as well. He he's a just a cut above on all this, though. He put his whole heart and soul into this thing. So very grateful for that. But I appreciate you saying that because I think it has made a difference in our relationships. Uh, and you'd be amazed that when we would go on the road to recruit, and we'd maybe be in Orlando at a big uh, recruiting venue. And all the Philly guys are kind of hanging out. We're recruiting the same guys and looking at the same people, but we're at, sitting there talking, and all these guys from different cities would say, what the hell are you guys doing? Well, that's just what we do. We just kind of hang out with one another. We're trying to beat the pants off each other every night that we're competing against each other or in recruiting or whatever, but we respect each other, which is the most important thing. Yeah, and that's and that's been true forever, going all the way back to, as you said, the 60s. And you named uh... – you named pretty much all of these coaches that came through here, legends all, Hall of Famers, most of them. Uh, but on top of the mountain, I mean, you're there. I mean, in terms of all-time winning as coach in the history of the Big Five, it's you. I mean, 516 wins is untouched, unmatched. Uh, you first guy to coach two, to be head coach at two different schools, uh, over 500 wins. Um, really a great career. I, I, I just wonder if you could talk a little bit about when it came, when it came down to the, to the end at Temple uh, and the decision to, to make the change. I know it wasn't entirely your decision, uh, and you and Aaron had, you and Aaron McKee, he was your assistant, you had a great relationship, but when they talked about transition, it must have been very hard for you to step away. Yeah, it was, you know, you, you think that you can do this forever, and, uh, and you want to do it forever in some respects, but you know, it was time. It was ready to go, and and I, I I value what Aaron has done at Temple since then. We we text after every game, and you know I try to go to each one of them. Certainly, all the home games, and there are few away games that I've been to. But just respect what he has done, and I think they're in a really good place right now. And but you're so grateful to these institutions. For, in my case, of both schools, giving me this chance to be a head coach and. Yeah, it, it was hard. You know, I'm not going to sit there and tell you it wasn't. Uh, and so I, I have a number of people say to me, do you miss it? And I said, yeah, every every day I miss it. I miss the juice. I miss being nervous before the game, almost wanting to to lose my lunch. And, uh, and it, it, the nervousness. But then when the ball goes up, you're just you're in the moment and you're just into the game and you want your kids to do so well so badly. And uh, you want them to be good men. You want them to be good citizens. And, uh, in every sense of the word, you want them to be good fathers and husbands and 
and good community people. That's that's what you and you miss that. You miss the locker room badly, uh, but you try to replace it with other things. And maybe it's a charity work, or it's uh, you know teaching a class, or or just doing good for others. You know, and what's better than that? What makes you feel better than that? You could do something for your fellow person who maybe is in, in a, in a bit of a struggle. And uh, so going back to a coaches versus cancer thing, you, you just, you want to do well for others and you, try, you want to try to make Philly best too, you know, and you, you, we're not perfect. We, we have so many imperfections in the city, but you know what? We're all here and we're all trying to make it well and make it better. And, and it's a great place. It's a great, it was a great place for me to grow up and I'm still trying to grow up. <laughs> uh, I guess the, the one thing that I would, uh, to just kind of put a, a, a bow on this, friend, thinking about where you came from, where you started playing organized basketball, CYO, all the way up through your playing career at LaSalle, and then your opportunity to be the, to win 500 games as a head coach. Is there one, if, if, if you were to say, is there one moment that stands out as a true highlight for you, what would it be? Yeah, I'm going to tell you, the highlight was actually a low light. And uh, we were, I was coaching at 10, uh, and we had a 27-point lead with 15 minutes to go in against Princeton at the Palestra, and we oh. no way we no way we yeah. could lose the game, but we did. And uh, I would have sold my soul to the devil for two more points that night, and yet here we are, 20 some years later. It was 1999 was the year, and uh, and. I would again. I would have sold my soul to the devil, but we we found a way. That team found a way to win seven more games and beat Princeton at Princeton by 25 the last night of the year to go to the NCAA tournament. And I would never trade that loss for anything. That was so meaningful. Uh, th- those kids never quit. They they just dragged me along with them. And and that was a those Lango Maloney or Lango Jordan years uh, that we had at Penn and, uh, and that was remarkable. And then at, at Temple, the first year that we got to the NCAA tournament, we had, we won uh, three games at the Atlantic city and uh, we get into the tournament and I'm in the, in the uh, press room afterwards and Bill Bradshaw hands me a, a phone. And I said, I'm, I'm in a press conference here. I can't take this. He said, you have to take this. And it's John Cheney on the other line. And, and he's so stinking happy that we, made it to the NCAA tournament, won the Atlantic 10. So those two moments, one at Penn and one at, at Temple, I, I couldn't trade for anything, and they're so meaningful and so uh, remarkable for me in, in my career. That, But they're all about the people. It has nothing to do with the games necessarily. The people made all that work. Well, Fran, over the years, you certainly uh, you contributed so much to this town, uh, both on the court and off, and uh, it's really been our pleasure hosting you for this hour. That is the great Fran Dunphy. This hour has been sponsored by Meridian Bank, one of the area's best business banks. Learn why at meridianbanker.com slash WIP. Fran, thanks a ton. All right, Ray. All right, Glenn. Appreciate it very, very much. You Thank guys you, are great. Thank you. you it, was, it, was, it was really good. Thanks a million. We didn't get into uh, the Delco Rough Touch League, but that'll be next time. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank Th- you very take much. Take care. All right, Ray. Well... <laughs> He's a gem, man. He's a he's a local treasure. He really is. There have been great, great people have come through the Big Five over the years, but uh, in terms of just being a good guy, um, they're none better than Fran Dunphy. That's for sure. Yeah.
Uh, before we go, I know that um, Tommy and me is kicking up soon, and uh, you wanted to uh, just remind people. Yes, of that. yeah, I wanted to remind everyone that uh, the Tommy and me is coming back. I'm so excited about that. It's coming back next month, April the seventh through the seventeenth, uh, at a new home. We're going to the beautiful Bucks County Play uh, Play uh, Playhouse. Uh, right there in New Hope, and uh, tickets are now on sale. So go to the uh, Bucks County Playhouse website, and you'll see the link to Tommy and me, and go on there and order your tickets today. And I hope to see you out at the theater. I'm looking forward to a, another great run, bringing the same cast back, all the same actors, same director. It's going to be the same show, but it's going to be the same good time. Well, that same show was a great show, and you've managed to make it a you know a permanent part of the Philadelphia arts scene, and I think it's great that you're – able to kind of move it around to different places, um, you know, in the city, out in media, down in Delaware, and now you're going up to uh, Bucks, Bucks County. County. I think it, it, it's for people, you know, it's it's a big metropolitan area. People don't always travel around, so this will give some new people a chance to see it, and, and it, it is great, and I'm looking forward once again to having a night when I host Yes, you will. For your, uh, your talk back, which is yes. always a good time. Yeah, you you signed on for that. And Joe Conklin's coming one night. And uh, we're going to have some really good people. Herb McGee's coming one night to, to host the post-show Q&A. Every night after the show, we're going to do a Q&A with the audience, which has uh, become kind of a tradition of the play and one of the really cool parts of it. And I'm really glad that you signed on for the sixth time. It is the sixth time, isn't it? Yeah, wow. this, this is our sixth well, run. Wow. Well, I've, I've been pleased to be a part of it since uh, the very beginning when you did it as an onstage hand in script reading. So, you know, it's just, it's gotten better and better. All right. So you and I will be back tomorrow. Same time, same station. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some of the things we didn't get to today, we're going to do tomorrow, including Ray's draft preview. Any idea where you're going to go with that tomorrow? Yeah, I think I might. um, uh, I think I'm going to talk a little bit about Jordan Davis, who I got to talk to a little bit here and, uh, you know, where he projects into this draft, and could he possibly project into the Eagles' future? Oh, Ray. Now I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight thinking about that. Oh, he's your kind of guy. There's no question about that. Love him. Stood next to him. It's like, whoa, you're a house. Uh, So we got that tomorrow. We're going to do our Shive Sports this week in Philadelphia Sports History, which also involves a nice giveaway of a $50 prize to Shive Sports. And what we're watching um, which uh, you and I are watching the same TV series. I kind of don't want to give it away. Well, we should we give it away? Sure, go right ahead. All right, we're both watching Winning Time, which is the Showtime, the Lakers uh, Showtime docudrama. I've seen the first two parts. I'm hoping there's a third part to see because I haven't quite figured out if I like it or not. But I I know how you feel. About <laughs> <it>. <laughs> well, I'm waiting to see the third part too. I kind of I'm willing to give it a chance. Right. But there's I I I. Uh, to be fair, I, I have some problems with what I've seen so yes, far. Yes, I understand. It may, it may not be the most factual thing ever. Anyway, Phillies baseball coming up. Terrific. I'm so delighted to hear Scott and Larry again. Dan Wilson produced for us today. Terrific job by Dan. Ray and I look forward to seeing everybody tomorrow morning, 10 o'clock, right here on 94 WIP. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.